Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thanks for your welcome. It's great to be here. Uh, I've been in this building many times over the last 20 years or so, um, but never don't think I've ever been here on a Sunday morning before, which is really brilliant. And uh, lovely to see Steve as well as Steve. Great to have connection with old friends again, some people who I've met in other contexts. Um, and just loving being with you. You know, you feel like family. You feel, I feel like totally at home here. And it's just lovely, lovely atmosphere, lovely presence of God here this morning. So, um, I've been on the road a while, as in a Christian. I've been a Christian for 50 years, became a Christian at the age of 12, uh, from a non-Christian home, and I became a Christian because somebody invited me to something. Somebody took me along to a, a youth group, which was a Christian youth group, and then I got invited to a camp where I heard people tell me about Jesus, and through that gave my life to Christ and began an amazing journey. At the age of 15, I had a real experience of God when I was buried alive under 100 weights of sand on the beach in a pool in Dorset, in Studland Beach. And uh, there I knew for the first time that I was not afraid of death. Because as I went unconscious under the weight of sand pressing on me, I just felt completely at peace. Not a worry in the world. And it was something of God's presence became very, very real to me in that moment. And I knew that God was real. At university, went to Bristol, studied medicine, um, and had a profound uh, encounter with God in my first summer holidays there, 1973. I went on a mission with Youth with a Mission, first of all to Paris and then to Amsterdam, uh, and that completely turned my world upside down. It was my first experience of that, that absolutely sort of fertile combination of mission, discipleship, and community, which are absolutely at the heart of what we're trying to do as we work with one another, work with the Holy Spirit to build these authentic communities on mission where discipleship is the way of life that we've embraced in what we now call missional communities. And uh, that was my first taster of it. And as I came out of that looking for a church to belong to, ran into the house church movement, 1973. Found this little, tiny little group of a dozen people on a housing estate on the edge of Bristol. Walked in the door, and Jenny and I, Jenny had been on a similar mission with YWAM that summer. We'd started to go out together. She's now my wife. And uh, we walked in that front door, and we just felt at home. We'd found our home, and that was our spiritual home for 18 years. In fact, that's where we first met some of the salt and light churches that we've loved over the years, and many of you that we've encountered. So Jenny and I got married, and uh, we had four daughters uh, who are all now grown up. They've given us eight grandchildren, which is very exciting. You know, they say that, you know, grandchildren are God's blessing for not killing your children. Uh, if any of you ever feel like killing your children, hang on. Grandchildren are the reward you get. Okay. Went on to practice medicine uh, for 10 years in Bristol and then two years in Liverpool. Uh, and for seven of those 12 years, I was effectively bivocational, part in general practice and an increasing responsibility in local church leadership. And in 1991, 12 of us moved to Liverpool to plant a church which became called Frontline Church and had the joy of leading that for 25 
years. It was a great experience. Uh, as Steve mentioned, the Kids Club was one of the very big uh, initiatives that came out of the church. Anybody heard of the four points, the wristbands and the, all the other stuff, the uh, evangelistic four symbols that came out of Frontline and is all over the world today. So various things have come out of the church. But in the last eight years or so, I think we have been turned upside down by rethinking our ecclesiology. What is church really meant to look like? And as we've kind of discovered this kind of low control but high accountability way of living in community together, groups of believers sharing life on a day-to-day basis, developing that atmosphere and culture of discipleship where iron is constantly sharpening iron as we engage with scripture, as we look to the Lord and say, what are you saying, Lord, and what do you want me to do about it? And as we then encourage each other in the mission that God's called us to, uh, discovering a whole new way of doing church, for which Sundays are unimportant, but not the main part. So that's a little bit of my background. And for the last two years, since handing on Frontline Church to a younger leader called John Harding, who's no relation. I, a lot of people think he's my son, but he's not. Um, uh, although he is the same age as my eldest daughter, so he could be technically. But... Um, just having the joy for the last two years of traveling around the country and working with groups of leaders all over the country who are seeking to rediscover the New Testament church in all of its beauty and glory. The New Testament church that knew nothing of a regular Sunday service in a a public building because they weren't allowed to own buildings for 300 years. Where the church in the house what missional community is now based on, where the church in the house was the primary unit of building and growing and multiplying and developing church such that the, the known world was fully evangelized and to the point where 50% of the Roman Empire owned the name of Christ within 300 years before ever they were allowed to own a, public, a building for public worship. There was something that they had in their way of being and doing church that we're still seeking to rediscover. And we're learning together. I've been a learner for 50 years, and I intend to keep learning for the coming decades because I want to discover that church. I call it the church that Jesus died for and is coming back for. The church that Jesus died for. and is... That's my heart beats for that, that longing, with that longing, that great yearning to see it, to discover it, to be part of it, to help it emerge, to help give direction to it, to, to lead where I get the opportunity to serve in that way. I think it's one of the greatest challenges for us in our day. But at the heart of this way of being and doing church is actually being missional. Just being part of a group that calls itself a missional community does not make you missional. We actually have to change the way we live. It's not about something we go and do and then retreat from. It's not about something that is a, you know, a, a, just a sort of a little sideline in our lives. It's actually the whole way in which we live our lives, being missional. We are a sent people, Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so do I send you. Just tell the person next to you, you're a sent person. And by the way, tell them you're looking really good this morning. So I want to deal a little bit this morning in the few moments we have together as to how and why 
we share the good news. Now, the why question is always the most important. We often, you know, default to the how and the where and the when and the with who. But actually, the why question in any area of life is always the most important because it, it digs into our motivation. It digs into our, uh, our deepest-seated instinct about whether we will do it or not. If we get the why, then the how, the where, the when, and the with who usually will fall into place. So I'm going to focus mainly on the why this morning. But let me just give you a disclaimer before I start. The disclaimer is this. I'm not an evangelist, okay? In fact, I think I am the world's worst evangelist. I, you know, like most people, I get tongue-tied. I don't know what to say. I feel embarrassed. I fear being rejected. You know, all of the things that would hinder any of us from being missional in everyday life, from being good news people, I suffer from those same inhibitions and defaults and insecurities. And just to prove it to you, I want to give you an example of something that happened a number of years ago, which was that uh, I was obviously feeling, I had a rush of blood to the brain or something, and I went into my local petrol station to uh, pay for my petrol, and there was an Asian gentleman standing behind the counter. And as this sort of rush of blood went to my brain, I just sort of blurted out to him, do you know Jesus? You know, it's not a very subtle opening line, is it? Do you know Jesus? And he said, no. And I thought, oh, what do I say now? (laughs) I did not have a clue. I had nothing to say. So I paid for my petrol and I went out. (laughs) That was the end of the conversation. Not the greatest evangelistic foray into, you know, being missionally effective. But, you know, I thought about it over the coming week. I thought, you know, well, I'm going to go back there again and just see if I can maybe do a bit better next time. And uh, I walked in again to pay for my petrol. The same guy was standing behind the the booth. And uh, I said, again, it was completely unsubtle and, you know, nothing clever. But I just, would you like to come to church? You know, out of nowhere, you know, no, no sort of build up to that question at all. Would you like to come? And he said, just a moment. And he sort of scurried behind a screen that I couldn't see behind. And I heard them, him talking in a language I didn't understand. It turned out to be Tamil. And he came back with the person who I discovered was his wife. And uh, he and his wife looked at me and they said, yes, we would like to come to church. <laughs> well, you could have knocked me over with a feather. Uh, <laughs> And I thought, yeah, well, okay, you know, we'll see if they turn up. And you know, I didn't do what you what you meant to do, which is to offer to go and pick them up. It's always what you should do. Um, and you know, again, amazingly, they turned up, and we got talking to them at the end of the church service, and discovered the reason they'd come was because their marriage was in trouble, and they thought maybe they could get some help. Felt need, so we talked to them, and uh, they invited us back to their home, and so we started to regularly visit them at their home. And it wasn't very long before they gave their lives to Christ. Little known to us, Rita, it was the name of the wife, Rita had an auntie in London who was also from uh, Sri Lanka, and her auntie was a Christian and part of a a very vibrant uh, Pentecostal Tamil-speaking church in London. And Rita's auntie had been praying for them for a long time. Ah, all starts to fit together now, doesn't it? You see, even my feeble attempts when on the back of somebody else's prayers could be effective. And 
Rita told one of the elders in their church, and their church said, could we send someone from London to come and meet with this couple, Jude and Rita, in their home to disciple them? I thought, well, that's fantastic. What a great idea. And so every week, they sent somebody all the way from London to meet with this couple in their home, and they said to them, do you know any other Tamil speakers in, in Liverpool who would like to meet with us? And so they started gathering Tamil speakers in their home. And it wasn't long before a Tamil-speaking church was born out of that failed evangelistic encounter in the petrol station. And why, why do I say that? I say that first, firstly to say that I'm completely incompetent when it comes to evangelism. Secondly, to say that it's not our abilities that God is looking for. He doesn't need you to be the greatest preacher. He doesn't want you to be the slickest salesman. He doesn't want you to have the techniques all down to the last T. He doesn't expect you to have a, a PhD in apologetics so that you can argue every difficult question that comes your way. He doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. He needs your availability. Just your willingness to work with him where he's working. Your willingness just to open your mouth and hopefully something a little more constructive will come out of it than came out of mine that day. So that's my disclaimer. And I want to encourage you that he will, if he uses me, who's just a shy, short guy trying to get to heaven, if he'll use me, he will use you. I promise you. Okay. He's not looking for smart, clever people. He's just looking for ordinary people who are available. So I want to give you three reasons why you would want to live a lifestyle on mission, a lifestyle of being sent. Every day when you get out of bed, you are sent into your world to be a missionary to wherever you live, wherever you work, and wherever you play. You are a missionary. And in the organization that I'm now leading called Kairos Connection, which is this network of leaders and churches around the country who are all trying to figure out how to do this type of church that is really effective around mission, discipleship, and community. As I lead this network, our, our strap line is raising missionary disciples. Every day when we get out of bed, the Lord sends us into our world as a missionary disciple. Three reasons why we would want to be missional in our lifestyle. Firstly, number one, I'm going to give you three points. I'm going to give you several tips along the way, which are a bit of the how-tos, and I'm going to give you three moments to pause and reflect on where we're going, to listen to the Lord, because hopefully most of you would be familiar with the, the two discipleship questions. Anybody know the two discipleship questions? Thank you very much. What is God saying and what are you going to do about it? Because I want you to hear from the Lord this morning. You know, irrespective of what I say, my prayer is that you will hear something from God that potentially changes your life for the better. So we're going to have some pauses where we listen to the Holy Spirit. Here's the first reason why we would want to live this missionary lifestyle. It's because we are grateful. How many people saw the film that came out in 2000 called Pay It Forward? Anybody seen that film? Where a young boy called Trevor McKinney launches a goodwill movement because he's challenged to do something 
this 12-year-old boy challenged, to do something that would make the world a better place. And instead of paying back good deeds with good deeds, he decides to pay it forward. In other words, to do a good deed, to bless another person before anything has been done by them for him. And he ends up being a blessing to a homeless drug addict, to a badly scarred teacher, and to one of his uh, school friends who's being bullied. And the whole film goes on to to generate this whole amazing goodwill movement that takes place where all sorts of things happen because he was willing to pay it forward. You know, we have been the recipients of the most amazing pay it forward. Romans says this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we could ever give anything back to God, he through Jesus, laid his life down for us. He paid it forward so that we could be a blessing to others. And we are blessed. And as we just remember how blessed, when I think what my life would be like without Christ, my marriage would have failed years ago. I might have been estranged from my family. The the amazing career choices that God has led me through over the years might never have happened. I'd probably be a sad old git living on my own, you know, miserable, depressed, suicidal, and frustrated. But God gave me life. He gave me life in all its fullness. He gave me a family for which I'm so grateful. He gave me career opportunities. He gave me friendships. He's given me the opportunity to meet the most amazing people as I go all around the world. And I'm so grateful for that. And I'm grateful because my sins are forgiven. You know, this, re- this stuff that God has given us, it really is good news. It really, I'm not just pretending, it really is good news. Okay? You know, it's, it's forgiveness we could never deserve. It's freedom we could never attain. And it's fulfillment we could never imagine. That's the life he offers us. It's good news. And oh, my, I want my life to be characterized by gratitude on a daily basis. And here's a top tip for you. Cultivate the gratitude attitude. You know, let your life each day begin with thankfulness to God. Just thank him for his forgiveness. Thank him for his love. Oh, his love is so amazing. It's so transforming as we connect with the Father's love for us. It delivers us from insecurity, from fear, from approval seeking, from being driven, from being success orientated. It delivers us from so many of the things that make our lives miserable, knowing the Father's love Every day as a child of God is truly amazing. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. And because I have been loved, I want to reach out to be a blessing to others. And not just physically be a blessing, but spiritually be a blessing to them too. Which means the good news that I've received, I want to share it with others. Because I know it to be good news. It's not just a theory of something I believed 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years ago. It's currently good news in my life today. It's good news that I want to share. One of the ways that I I, I like to cultivate that gratitude attitude is through breaking bread. Just as we sit around the meal table to say, let's just take a few moments to break bread and just let's just be thankful to God for all that he's given us and Let's pray around the table and remind ourselves of just how good it is to be his children. One of the chapters that I think speaks so much into our 
the things we're thinking about this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll make some references to it as we go through. But one of the verses in it that I love is 2 Corinthians 5.14, where Paul says he's already been talking about knowing the fear of the Lord. We persuade men about the good news of Jesus. And later on, he talks about being ambassadors for Christ and being given the ministry of reconciliation. But right here in the middle, he, he points to this fundamental motivation, the why factor. He says in verse 14, because, therefore, because the love of Christ constrains, compels, controls. It means lit- Literally, it means to be urged with irresistible power. We are pushed out with irresistible power to share this good news because of the love of Christ. And, you know, I want to say to you, if you're not enjoying the love of Christ, if you're not enjoying the love of the Father, then go back because you're missing out on the most fundamental, wonderful thing about being a child of God. You know, you cannot escape that foundation in your life. You cannot build on any other foundation other than the unconditional love of our Father in heaven, the love which Christ demonstrated for us on the cross. We can't go further than that. And so one of the things, that is another top tip, one of the things that I've done over the years is to train myself, because I want to be a blessing, not just physically, not just blessing Becky over the road who lives in social housing, who for, for months knocked on our door asking for this, asking for that, asking for money, and she still, even though she lives on the other side of the city now, still WhatsApps us or messages us saying, Nick, I need 20 quid for the electricity, the baby's got no food, and we've run out of money and the benefits, but can you give us 20 quid, Nick? I, I, you know, it's... There's a whole discussion there. But, um, you know, I don't just want to be a physical blessing. I actually want to be a spiritual blessing. Because ultimately, you know, you can go to hell with a full stomach. Yeah? But I actually want people to know life in all its fullness. And so I've trained myself to share my story in 90 seconds. Anybody can do that. Anybody can do that. So almost in any conversation... If anything vaguely connected to my story comes up in the conversation, do you know, that's really interesting you should say that. You know, because I actually became a, a Christian when I was 12, and I didn't come from a Christian family at all. It's really weird, you know, and, and I'm off. 90 seconds, they get a little summary of my story, and in the middle of that, I talk about Jesus and how he's come into my life. And what I wait for then to see is whether they lean in or whether they turn away. Because if they lean in, they may just be what Luke 10 calls a person of peace. Someone who wants to know more. Someone who may ask another question. Someone who may ask, say yes to meeting up with me for a coffee. Someone who may just be on that journey towards Christ. I shared something of my story many years ago with a, a young man who ran an engineering business. His name was Nick. And uh, so we kind of hit it off because we were both called Nick. And um, I got talking to him over the counter. I was getting a sign made for my medical practice. Uh, like I wanted a red perspex sign. always wanted to be a bit different, but the rebel in me coming out. No brass plates for me. Thank you very much. And he was intrigued. And so we got chatting and, you know, I told him a bit of my story. I said, would you like to meet for a coffee? And uh, I heard, I subsequently discovered later on that he thought this was a gay pickup. But... Um, <laughs> Nevertheless, he was happily married. He said yes. And so we, um, we went and had a coffee together. And out of that coffee together, he 
he allowed us to come into his home and share scripture with him and do a non-Christian Bible study with him. And through that, he eventually and his wife came to faith. And they've gone on to make other disciples who have made disciples over the years. And we're still in touch with them today. But I've learned to share my story. One of the places I love to share my story, my 90-second story, is in court because I work as a magistrate. Every few weeks I go in and as, a, um, as a magistrate. And we're sitting around the tables with other magistrates. And you're, you're, there's a lot of hanging around in magistrates' court. Uh, I absolutely love it. It's great. And so I'm always with different people each time I go in. So pretty much every time... I go into magistrate's court, I get to share my story with somebody because the inevitable question comes up, you know, either what do you do or what, what have you been up to? And, you know, it's very, very easy just to talk about your story. So I encourage you to do that. One, one guy in court, he was a district judge who they consider as an alternative to a magistrate's bench of three. His name was Trevor. And Trevor was uh, discovered fairly quickly that I was a Christian, that, in fact, that I was a pastor. And Trevor delighted in baiting me across the retiring room he would shout all sorts of insults towards me in a friendly manner you know calling me a god botherer and a demon chaser and all sorts of other things across the retiring room with other magistrates sitting around and and he would always come and tease me and mock me and you know it was good humored and I didn't mind and I gradually a friendship grew and so I was able to invite him to church for a Christmas service. And he came to one eventually, second time round, second year I invited him. He came to a Christmas service. And uh, he brought his wife along, his, not his wife, his wife-to-be, his girlfriend called Lucky Bird. Not sure how pleased she was to be called Lucky Bird. But um, it was one of those Christmas services where everything went, went wrong. You know, the, you know one, of the, one of the women from the street work uh, appeared that, that morning and obviously had, hadn't really got rid of the alcohol or drugs in a system from the night before and she decided to get up in front of the children's choir and start to conduct them you know like this in front of the whole congregation it was very interesting and then someone else fainted and chairs scattered in all directions and right behind where Trevor was sitting but Trevor loved it he thought it was great and uh he and Co- and uh, and Corrie his wife Connie his wife um three months later rang me up and said Nick uh Trevor said, Nick, uh, me and Lucky Bird are thinking of getting married. Uh, would you marry us? <laughs> Trevor, you know, we, our place is a, it's a warehouse. It's a shed, you know, that you, you want to get married in a nice, you know, Anglican building with stained glass windows and have a proper vicar do it. You know, I'm not a proper vicar. I'm just leading this church. And, and uh, he said, no, 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 Nick, we, we like you. We like your church. We want you to marry us. And uh, so eventually we met up and we talked it through and, well, look, Trevor, you know, normally, he's in his 60s at this point. Normally, I, say to, I said, you know, we do marriage preparation with people. And, uh, you know, I, th- I would like to do some marriage preparation with you and, and with Connie. And uh, the, what I'd like to do is I'd like, to, I'd like you to come on an alpha course. So, you know, typical marriage preparation, obviously. Um, um, anyway, if, eventually, actually, it was after they were married, as it happened, uh, he came on an Alpha course and I discovered that he had rejected Christianity because of a, a very strict authoritarian upbringing in a Christian home. And he had totally rejected it. And it was just wonderful to watch him and Connie through the Alpha course gradually as he reconnected with his childhood faith. It was brilliant. And, uh, you know, it was just a lovely watching that journey, which took two or three years in the end before he finally reconnected with God in his life. But it all comes from starting sharing your story. 
Here's another top tip, okay? If you ask people enough questions about them, usually, they're not always, usually they will end up asking you questions about you. And it's not rocket science. I'm a card-carrying introvert, which means I have no small talk. Please don't expect any. Um, I'm a card-carrying introvert. I find initiating conversations quite difficult. Um, But I can ask questions. I'm quite good at asking questions. And so if you meet me after the service, I'll probably ask you about you because I can't think of anything to say. Um, and, but actually, it's a great way of drawing people out. And if you keep asking questions, eventually they will say, well, tell me about you. Or, you know, what do you do? Or, you know, have you got a family? And, you know, you're off. You're into your story. It's really, really simple. Okay, first pause. What is God saying to you today? Just close your eyes and pause for a few seconds. Okay. Second reason, and we're going to speed up as we go along here. Second reason is we want to share the good news with others. We want to be good news Christians. We want to be missionaries wherever we live, work, and play because through doing so, we get to see Jesus come back quicker. I'm sorry if that messes with your theology, but I personally am convinced of it. Okay. And I don't know about you, but I am longing to see Jesus face. Anybody else want to see Jesus face to face? Oh, it's going to be the most amazing moment in our lives. And all that we believed and longed for suddenly becomes vivid, technicolor, surround sound reality. Okay. We, we're caught up to meet him in the air. We have this great reu- family reunion before he comes to establish the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be such a moment. And we get to bring that forward. We get to make that happen quicker by being good news missionary Christians in our daily lives where we live, work, and play. Jesus put it this way in Matthew twenty-four fourteen. He's talking about the end times. He goes on to talk about what what it would be like when he returns. And he says, this good news of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a witness, as a testimony to all nations. And what will happen then? Then the end will come when we've completed the work he gave us to do. Peter put it this way. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. The earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? It's a good question. Ask the person next to you. What kind of person ought you be? Well, thankfully, Peter has the answer to the question. He says you ought to live godly lives. Now, this is the key. As you look forward to the day of his coming and speed or hasten 
his return. We look forward to it, and by living out this life where God wants all men to be saved, none should perish, we hasten the day of his return. I think just the thought of bringing that day forward is a powerful motivation for me. Now, you may not be sent to the ends of the earth, the distant nations. Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. We've all got a Jerusalem. We've all got a Jerusalem. My Jerusalem is the 500 people who live in the four streets around me. That's my starting point for the gospel. And because I am motivated to be a good news Christian, I will overcome my insecurities, my inhibitions, my introversion, in order to find ways of connecting with and communicating that good news to people. Let me give you another tip here. Bring Jesus into your first conversation with everybody you meet. It's always much harder the longer you leave it. Bring Jesus into your first conversation. You'll find out very quickly whether they're a potential person of peace or whether they run a mile. If they run a mile, that's really helpful because you know at this point in time, they're not receptive to spiritual truth or to the good news about Jesus. So my little area that I live in is my my Jerusalem. And I'm looking for people who I can make connection with in my Jerusalem. I'm looking for any kind of point. of One of the things that I love to do is to go to parties, which is really bizarre for an introvert, you know, because most introverts hate parties. And actually, I don't really like them for being parties, but they're great places to connect with people. You know, you can walk around the rooms and you can connect with a dozen, two dozen people in the space of two hours. And you go all the time, I'm looking, Lord, are there any people of peace here tonight? Is there anyone who's open spiritually, anyone I can have a spiritual conversation with? So at Christmas, we were at Andy and Natalie's house just down the road for a Christmas party. And Natalie's invited one of her school teacher friends. We get talking with her and her boyfriend. Suddenly discover she's wide open to spiritual things. She's actually teaching mindfulness and spirituality in her classroom. So she's open to spiritual things. And through that come a whole series of other connections. And now we're just being able to be a blessing for her in her school. And she's coming out and hanging around with us. And you know, Who knows where that will lead to? But it's simply that we've been able to make that connection, talk about Jesus, and engage in relationship. Second tip, do it as a community. You know, this missional lifestyle was never meant to be a solo sport. It was meant to be a family exploit, a family thing that we do together. Because we've all got different parts to play. Some people are better at inviting. Andy and Natalie, they are fantastic at throwing parties. So I get you throw the party... I'll come and find the receptive people. You, you run the Alpha course in our home. That would be brilliant. Somebody else helped with practicalities. One of the first people who uh, became a Christian through our missional community three years ago was a young Somali asylum seeker. I tell you, that was a whole family affair. A sly in the family stone put it. That was a whole family affair. Everybody pitched in. He had so many. He had multiple needs. Helping with his housing. Helping with his legal 
um, asylum claim, helping him with his finances, helping him get on a college course, helping him with transport, helping him with his English. Everybody pitched in. And on week six, he's sitting around our dining table. Kasim has virtually said nothing to this point other than, I, my name is Kasim, I'm a Muslim. That's pretty much all he'd said for six weeks. But he just kept coming back because he liked the food and he liked the company and felt loved and secure. Halfway through the Bible study we're doing, he says, oh, can I, can I interrupt you for a moment? Yeah, sure, Kasim. In his very broken English, he said, I, I see you are all very happy. I think it's because you have Jesus. Can I have Jesus too? You know, you live for those moments. And, of course, we interrupted our Bible study and we led into Jesus and he continued to grow in faith for the next nine months until the government moved him to the northeast where he became part of another church. Do it as as a community. Okay, second pause. What is God saying to you? Just close your eyes. Let the Holy Spirit speak. Okay, third and final point. Why do we want to be good news Christians? Why do, we want to over, why do we want to put ourselves in situations where we face potential rejection, embarrassment, loss of respect, not being affirmed or approved of? Why, why would we put ourselves in those situations? The third reason is because we have owned the lostness of our city. We have owned the lostness of our city. When Jesus stood over Jerusalem, he said these words in Matthew 23. Oh, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. But you wouldn't let me. Jesus' heart was breaking for his city. Have you let God's heart touch you for your city? It comes out of relationship with the Father, letting his emotion touch our emotion. Let his compassion be our compassion for the people we meet. One of the things I find that really helps me, because I'm, I'm not a naturally very gushy kind of compassionate person, but one of the things that really helps me is just to do prayer walking and chatting. And so I'll often walk around our neighborhood, just prayer walking and chatting with anyone I bump into. Asking God to give me his eyes on those people. Say, Lord, show me what their pain is. Show me where their brokenness is. Show me where they are hurting. Show me where they feel lost and alone. And let me be your hands and eyes, ears and words to that person. I was walking around our neighborhood just recently and uh, I bumped into a lady who I vaguely knew around the back and her name was Sandy and she said, you know, hi, and we just chatted. It wasn't very, very, even a very spiritual conversation, but it just made me think I perhaps ought to pray for this family. And then I met Mark, her husband, who's a retired anesthetist at another friend's party at this last Christmas and suddenly discover he's recently had a massive heart thing happen and he's had to have bypass surgery and his whole life's been turned upside down and we have this amazing spiritual conversation I just begin to feel his own you know his insecurity about life and the future 
and uh, eventually took a book round to him, The Case for Christ, because he wants evidence. He, wants, you know, he describes himself as an atheist, and yet he's open to these spiritual conversations. And now, this week, Jenny and I and another couple from the, the, the street are coming round to have a meal with him, just asking God, give me your heart of compassion. And as we walk around, just say, Lord, give me eyes to see people as you see them. Just one final top tip. We need a change of mindset around being good news Christians. And it's the mindset that I call the change from few to many. And what I mean by that is that we would begin to ask God to give us many, many, many connections on a daily basis where we work, in our streets, in the pub. And one of the great things about the turning is that you will have multiple connections in a short space of time. Because you need to connect with the many to find the few who are actually gospel receptive, who are potentially people of peace who will give their lives to Christ. The turning we had in Liverpool was fantastic. And if you want to start to grow in confidence, because it's not ability you need, it's confidence. It's not knowledge you need, it's confidence. The turning is a great way to help you grow in confidence. But it's also a great way to connect with multiples of people. In one hour, you can talk to a dozen people on the streets. I guarantee you, within a dozen people, you'll find at least one or two people who probably want to pray that prayer at the end of that conversation. But we need this mindset shift from just investing in a few relationships for the next 20 years to multiple, multiple relationships, dozens and dozens of them, to look for those few people of peace in whom we will pour our lives to raise them as disciples of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Final pause. Father, just speak to us by your Spirit. What are you calling us? to do. Because we're out of time and over time, uh, I'm just going to pray for you. But I'd like you to do one thing in a moment, which I'm giving you notice of, which is before we finish, to share with the person next to you what God is asking you to do as a result of what he's been saying to you this morning. And to hold each other account. Come back to the other person in a couple of weeks' time and say, did you do that? Have you done that? Are you on that track? Have you made a start on that? So just be thinking about that as well as I pray for you. Father, I thank you that your great, great love for us knows no bounds. And we're so grateful that we have received good news. We long for you to return so that we can see you face to face. And we need for our hearts to be touched by your compassion for lost people. And we pray for it. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just as, do you want the band to come back, Steve, or are we going to close? Okay. Can we just, before Steve says his final thing, just say to one another one thing that you think God is asking you to do as a result of this morning. Can you do that right now? And then hold each other account. Ask the other person in two weeks' time, how's it going?